Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site. And uh, you can call me the classic low-key because we are in our penultimate episode of our low-key, low-key review series. And it just so happens to be our 65th episode. Joining us on the podcast, as he does every single week except that one time, a guy who at one time thought about being a horse masseuse, but decided to go into journalism instead, the inventor of pie in a can, Al Manorino. What's going on? That was all the inside jokes from before we started this podcast in <laughs> one thing. So I'm I, thought you were, I, thought, I thought you were actually introing our other guests first, and I'm like, I nope. feel betrayed. Um, I honestly, I feel like I'm the alligator Loki of the group. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, because I just want people to just like feed me wine as I as I lay in a pool. Um, sure, that would be ideal. Um, but yeah, I, excited about our actual guest. Yes, <laughs> we would not have a penultimate episode of a review series, whether it be the Mandalorian, WandaVision, or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, without the former television editor of the popbreak.com and the current podcast guru Svengali and time variant authority overlord, but he's real and not a robot or is he? As far as Alex, you know. Uh, son of a bitch. Uh, we'll never find out. <laughs> Alex Marcus is on the podcast. Once again, welcome back. It's like I didn't podcast with you earlier this week, Alex. It's true. It's listen, it's a whole new environment. It's a different app that we're using. It's like a whole new thing. And I'm hosting, so God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I am going on basically a bowl of cereal and alcohol right now. So this yes. should be one hell of a podcast. But we are talking about the penultimate episode of Loki, which is entitled Journey into Mystery. Mystery. And if you didn't know, that was where the comic series, we first were introduced to both Thor and Loki back in the day. So this, of course, was one hell of a run. Alex, I want to ask you, because before we actually get into the segments, your thoughts, I mean, you mentioned it, this on the, a little bit, on the TV Break podcast, which we recorded and dropped earlier this week on the Pop Break TV Hub on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Anchor Podcasts, but what's your relationship with this show and your overall thoughts so far on the Loki series? Uh, yeah, so this, I have a weird kind of complicated relationship with this show, I would say, Par for the course. And <laughs> when it was first, like, if people might not remember this, but when it was first announced that Marvel was making shows for Disney Plus, the the three that were announced were the three that have now aired: the WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and uh, this one, um, Loki. And this was when I heard that they were making a Loki show. I was really kind of annoyed. Honestly, it felt very just creatively bankrupt, kind of like pandering to the fans like Loki's dead he's died so many times do we really need to bring the character back just because he's so popular I love Tom Hiddleston I love him in the role he's such a great actor he's it's such a great match I feel like he has rarely been as good as he has been in this role so it's not that I didn't want to see him again but it just felt like bank like creatively bankrupt to go there um then you know fast forward two years later 
they released the first trailer to this show and it was just completely bananas and totally exceeded any expectation that I had. And I suddenly became extremely hyped for the show because I love time travel stuff. I love like multiverse stuff. And this show is kind of like banging these two things together. And so I started to get really excited for it. Um, then I started watching the show and uh, I felt like it was, you know, pretty good. Um, and that's kind of where I've been at up until last week where, you know, it was kind of like, it was a good kind of like hangout vibe. I like Tom Hiddleston. He's very charming. It was like uh, 45 minutes a week of him getting to be charming. And then like one kind of like, you know, uh, lackluster action sequence. And then we were out. Um, and I'm, and I was like, yeah, this is fine. I could keep doing this. Um, but it was definitely not exciting to me. I wasn't like, Oh my God, I can't wait for the next episode. Mm -hmm. And then episode four came and I was like, Oh, this is actually excellent. Now, um, everything that they've been kind of setting up, uh, and all of the work that they've been doing to build these characters and these relationships in this world, they just totally paid out in a really effective way in episode four. So then, you know, we're here in episode five uh, to talk about that. And I'm very excited about getting to talk about it. Yep, because I did see your tweet about that um, a week or two ago, and I was just like, I will bring this up on the podcast. Of course, <laughs> I didn't reference your tweet, but, you know, it was yeah. the inspiration for my uh, my question. Well, it was a very good question, Bill. Hey, I appreciate listen, it. That's about, I just, I there was peak, like... <laughs> I have peaked for this podcast. <laughs> like, Michael Walden, who created this show, he wrote, uh, he wrote it. He's kind of like the creative force behind it. Uh, he really, he had this interview before the show released where he was talking about his inspirations and he just rattled off like some of the greatest things that have ever been made in like television and film and was like, yeah, I pulled, I pulled in, <laughs> like inspiration from these things. It's like, get that great. Awesome. Like, but like, it's completely meaningless because like, of course it's like Loki isn't going to be like that. And then I feel like some people tried to really make the connections. Like Mad Men is like my favorite show of all time. It's my favorite thing of all time. And, uh, and they kept being like, oh, you know, Michael Waldron said he was really inspired by Mad Men. So you could really see like how they're trying to make the show like Mad Men. And like the show is nothing like Mad Men at all. And it was really annoying to me as like a hardcore Mad Men fan that people I mean, kept saying that. I, I, I see these. I think aesthetically. I think it's, aesthetically. It's not aesthetically because the aesthetics no, are the, the 70s and the Mad Men's aesthetics are the 60s. So it's explicitly not the same aesthetic. <laughs> No, but I think going for like the office vibe in some respects like that, making it a character study, like I, it's not like directly like Loki is Don Draper because yeah. one, that, that makes no sense. So weird. Yeah, but also like, like the themes and the way and like the construction of the episodes and like the focus on uh, like on character dynamics and like the relationship that it has to like the period of the 60s and to like a lot of the thematic stuff that's going on in Mad Men in terms of like identity and relationships and like masculinity and all this stuff. It really has nothing to do with any of those things. Not really. Like you could try to stretch it if you want to be like, well, it's about like he's questioning his identity, yeah. but not at all in the same way that Don Draper is or Peggy Olsen or any of these other characters. Um, it's like, like a lot of art is about identity at the end of the day. Um, and I don't feel like this is reflective of how Mad Men tries to answer that question or like any of the central theses of that show. Um, so I, I found I, the comparison very annoying. <laughs> I, I feel like you may not know the definition of inspired, like in the sense no, of like it's just hard like guy on this podcast. I know, and that's the thing that's me. bothering me a little bit. It's just no, like I don't you can mind. Get, I don't. You can draw inspiration from something without that's, saying like this is gonna be Mad Men. 
No, no, it's I don't mind heroes. him saying that he was inspired by it. I mind to, like the people talking about the show being like, oh, you can clearly see how this is like Mad Men, and this mm-hmm. is really like this one episode of Mad Men. It's like it really isn't. And well, Owen really... Wilson is obviously the Joan Holloway of the series. I mean, well, Miss Minutes would be the Joan if we yeah, had to have. I a feel Joan. like he would be like the, the what's it called? Like Roger. Right. Right. If you thought that would he be like Roger? If you thought he would, I was well, being no, serious. he wouldn't really be like Roger. If we had to, I guess I he would, would be kind of like the Ken Cosgrove, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, Loki? Oh, what? Mobius, oh, Mobius, Mobius, yeah, Mobius, yeah. Um, I thought it'd be like he's got he's got like a little bit of Ken Cosgrove, and he's got like a little bit of uh, Lane Price. I kind of like mix them what together. I was going to go with Lane. I mean, Lane, Lane Price has never been as <laughs> charismatic or confident as. And that's as what I was getting. I think that's is. where I was getting the, the Roger yeah. from was his personality. More, uh, more but than Roger cares doesn't care enough about anything, and he's so like nope. aloof and just he's and hedonistic, and and Mobius isn't hedonistic so at all. He's so crazy. Is he? No, I'm joking. It's not. He's obviously not. No, um, he's not. He's and I was No, no, no. Mobius is not hedonistic at all. I was joking. Oh no, he's not. No. Oh no, he's no, the opposite except, of hedonistic. Except, except is, for except for uh, jet skis, which someone made a Luca inspired fan art of Mobius and uh, Sylvie and Loki on a jet ski in the the, the characterizations of yeah. So like uh, Luca, so. Luca and Alberto are Sylvie and Loki, and then the, yeah. the girl who I forget the name is Julia. Uh, Julia. Julia. Julia is um, is Mobius. And they're riding a jet ski instead of the instead oh, of the what's so called nice. the um the speedboat. The Vespa. Is it Vespa? Oh yeah, yeah. Vespa. Instead of the Vespa, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it's the cutest thing ever. You should definitely check it's it. It's very, yeah, it's very cute. We talk, much better about... than the Loki inspired Simpsons short that I would released. I just do not want to watch it. It's just yeah. nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. That's they did a Star Wars one like that. My daughter wanted to watch it. So I put it on and I was just like, this is nothing. This is literally just they made something. Okay. Yeah. You killed time. Thanks. I did. Speaking of killing time, I feel like I've completely derailed this episode before and it even started. The moment, I hit record, the, the moment I hit record, I derailed. It's derailed. Totally. I, got, I took pie in a can and horse masseuse in two minutes. It was off the rails. We're done. These just sound like dirty sex jokes from like the 1950s. That's right. Pie in a can and horse masseuse. They sound like uh, uh, Canadian sex acts. Sure. I also, yeah, can't well, take you yeah, seriously instead of a horse. Probably, I can't take you seriously, Al, in your like your Roman Reigns like combat yeah. right now. It's yeah, no, I'm so weird. rocking the uh, Bane vest, also known as the the thing that's trying to fix my posture. We are as we're now we're off the rails. Let's get into our first segment, right. guys, which is titled "Oh So Beautifully." Hi, my name is Miss Minutes, and this is the plot summary. Of course, this plot summary is read directly from Wikipedia. I thought you were about to say like a sponsor by. I'm like, did we get a sponsor? <laughs> Wikipedia, which is maybe about as uh, reliable as Miss Minutes, as it turns out. Very true. Oh, she she had she had some moments. Of course, this is episode five, Journey into Mystery. Sylvie learns from Renslayer that Loki was teleported to the Void, a dimension at the end of time where everything the TVA prunes is dumped into. Meanwhile, the other variants tell Loki that a cloud-like creature named um Eliath. Eliath. Sorry, yes, Eliath. Thank you, Alex. Guards the void and prevents anyone from escaping. In attempt in an attempt to reach Loki, Sylvie prunes herself and narrowly now God damn it. Narrowly escapes Eliath with Mobius's help. Boastful Loki 
attempts to betray the other Lokis for President Loki. God, these names are fantastic. Causing a fight to ensue while Loki and his variant allies escape. After reuniting with Loki, Sylvie proposes a plan to approach Eliath and enchant it in hopes that it will lead to the real mastermind behind the TVA's creation. As the Lokis head towards Eliath, Mobius uses a temp pad. Sylvie stole from Renslayer to return to the TVA. Kid Loki, an, all- Jesus, an alligator Loki, I'm sorry, Every time I see that name, I can't, I just, it breaks me. Escape, while well, classic Loki creates a large illusion of Asgard to distract Eliath, sacrificing himself in the process. This allows Loki and Sylvie to successfully enchant the creature and move past the void. Noticing a citadel in the distance, Sylvie and Loki walk towards it. Okay. Hand so, in hand. Hand in hand. So beautifully. So... This might be unfair to do, but we've had two Marvel series previous to this, and even The Mandalorian had a little bit of this as well, is where we kind of took a little diversion um, in the penultimate episode. How do you guys, Alex, I'm going to start with you first, talking about the episode. How do you feel this episode in particular worked as a penultimate episode, setting us up for the finale? Did you feel like it got us to where we need to be. You're on the edge of your seat waiting for the next episode, or did you feel it took us in another direction? I feel like it's definitely the former as opposed to the latter. Um, this show is structured very differently than the first two Marvel shows were structured. Um, as you said, the first two Marvel shows, their penultimate episodes were both kind of like, okay, we're reaching this kind of crescendo in the in the anti-penultimate episode, and then we have to then stop the action take a breath and like deal with the emotional like baggage that had been going like amping up the whole time and like have an episode to really process everything that we've been through. And then we are set up to just have like an action packed finale. Um, This show very different, right? If anything, the like the third episode was the episode where we kind of deal with that emotional character work um and like processing kind of their baggage building that relationship between loki and sylvie um and then we get into episode four and it really kind of pays off as i said by like bringing those people to the like to the edge of what they thought they were looking for it almost is like a false uh, climax because it, you realize that there's no there there and now instead of taking a minute to kind of like catch your breath you're getting like launched into this whole other world where we're really kind of have a bunch of questions answered and a bunch of new questions asked simultaneously and there's so much to explore and so much to be like stimulated by and so much uh like uh, like we're finally getting to see the evolution that these characters have been going on in a way kind of in action. Um, and yeah, and it sets up like a great climax. So yeah, I really, I, I think that the structure here is distinct and it really works much better for me personally. I agree. Uh, even that when, even though they're not in the same universe, the Mandalorian season two, remember we had the whole, let's go give Bill Burr a redemption arc. You know what I mean? That was a, <laughs> like, let's, let's take a, let's take a hard right here. And it's just like, yes. But uh, for that's me, not the only thing that was important about that episode. Though. I know, you but I like, I like, I like, yeah, I know he, like, took his, he took his mask he off. He took I his know. mask off. He showed how committed he was to the child that it was I, not I more but than A lot time. of it was like, let's give South East Space trash a little <laughs> a redemption argument. Uh, but I feel like for this one, we have this like, I, where I feel like 
we know we're two two our two main character groups are have walked into different literally walking into different worlds or new worlds or are returning to worlds that I don't know where we're going to take us because I felt like we all like with WandaVision we knew okay we have this goal we're going to hit like she's go- her and Agatha are going to they're going to battle and there's going to be this big reveal with a Falcon and the Winter Soldier we were like you were like oh god I hope he doesn't have that outfit Sorry, Alex. He did, and um, Al was right. Yes, thank you. He yeah. got one right. We got to give him the W, guys. Well, the, the thing that he was wearing—he's wearing, he's wearing right. a Bane yeah. vest to help his posture. We have to give him a W right now. Um, he also had—he also had not one drone, but two drones. So that was really—that was a big L for me. Oh, that—that that was a huge W for Al as well. He was <laughs> all about the drones, but we—we—we we, we don't know what the world Mobius is going to walk into. We don't know what the world that. Wanda, um, sorry, Wanda, Loki and Sylvia are walking into. We're like, it's it's these big question marks. And I feel like I'm more excited to find out in the finale of this series what's going to happen because we had this end game, this end, no pun intended, end point, I should say. And like even Falcon and Winter Soldier were like, okay, we're thinking Sam's going to become Captain America. We think like this, these things are going to happen. Like there has to be these resolutions with Loki. We're like, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> like Mobius is walking back into the TVA and he wants to burn it to the ground. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're walking into the land of Oz now and we, we don't know what's lying ahead of us. And I think that makes it the most exciting. So Al, um, what do you think about, uh, you know, for this being a penultimate episode, like just the same question I asked Alex. I thought it was solid. Cause I, I usually with the penultimate episodes are usually more satisfying, I guess, than the finale. You can make the argument. Uh, or at least, at least they're some of the best made ones because they have to do a lot in a little time. And, um, you know, when it's executed right, it's executed right. And I thought they did that, a great job in this one because they somehow introduced us to like a million Loki variants and we still cared about the main characters. Like we still wanted to know where they were going. Um, but in addition to, they also introduced us to a bunch of Lokis. So that was really exciting. Uh, you know, we, I think the two biggest questions I had going into the show from seeing like, I guess like the final trailer was um, how important is the, uh, I guess, presidential candidate Loki? Cause it says vote Loki. Um, how important was he and DB Cooper Loki <laughs> to the plot? <laughs> and guess what? Not much. No, not at all, really. But guess what? It was still awesome. It was still so <laughs> exciting to see that. And like just to get just to see Hiddleston get to have so much fun in those roles. Um really one role, but it's just I think it was so great. And I you know, we're gonna talk about him a lot in this episode, but perfect casting as as stated last week, perfect casting of Richard E. Grant. As classic he's so, Loki. He's so good. He's so good in anything. Anything and everything he's great in. And again, we will make I will make the recommendation. Please watch if you have not already seen it. I'm sure Alex has. Um, can, can you ever forgive me? The yeah. movie with Melissa McCarthy. He's phenomenal in it. Probably should have won the Oscar that year, but I think he was only nominated. He was um, he was basically runner-up that year. Yeah. Oh, he's so who, good. Who won it that year? I think that was Rockwell. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. Double check. No. Which is, that's controversial, too. People don't like. No, wait. Rockwell. No, I think Rockwell was the year before. 
was Rockwell for three billboards. Yeah, yeah, that was 2017. But can you ever forgive me? I believe it was 2018. Yeah, so, it was. Uh, I'll look that up. We'll look it up. Not not the right pod, but yes. Um, lo- I just I thought he was phenomenal in it, and he you know took it over the edge for me. Solid episode, as we will st- talk about later. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, now I'm like, uh, crap. What was he? Oh, it was Mahershala Ali for Green Book, of course. A yeah. movie that I've also tried to out of my mind. Well, he, he was kind of a slam dunk. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to him. He's always great. Happy to see uh, him. True Detective. Future Blade, of course. Oh, but. it's going to be so good as Blade. Yeah. Um, let's move into, um, we changed it up for last last time. We Last week we changed things up where we put the, um, our like tinfoil hat theories up first. But I think we're going to save that for this one because this was a very character heavy episode. So I want to go into the variant, which is, of course, our, we talk about the performances in this episode. Um Let's just get right into it. Richard E. Grant as classic Loki. Of course, you see him at the in the mid-credit sequence of episode uh, four, and it's kind of ridiculous. This we just talked about this guy being an Oscar nominee, and he is wearing the satiny, big-horned Loki that most of us had Marvel cards for, or when we first were introduced <laughs> to him if we read the comic book. But we're given. Uh, some really interesting moments with him. So Alex, was he your favorite performance of this episode? And just talk about your thoughts on Richard E. Grant in as classic Loki in the episode. Okay. So I can't say he was my favorite performance in the episode, but I really, really like him in this episode. And I was just talking to a friend yesterday about this. And I was saying that I, so I heard early on, obviously that Richard E. Grant was in this show and I was excited to see what he would do. I was hoping that it would be more of an opportunity to act than, um, you know, the last star Wars movie that he was in. Um, (laughs) but yeah, (laughs) but, um, but then when I started to seem like there was a pretty good chance that he was going to be playing an older Loki, right. And a Loki that they were going to be saving for the end of the series. And at that point I thought like, Oh wow, I think I know exactly what we're going to get. And I'm really excited. Cause I thought like, Oh, he's going to be like this, like older, like more villainous, more charismatic and dynamic and like man behind the curtains, like super cool, evil, charismatic guy, which he could play like in his sleep. Oh, for And instead he's like, an incredibly like vulnerable and empathetic character. Like he's so, he has such like a dynamic quality to him where he's just like, he's lived a whole life and he's really just over it. And he just like, he, like he's so tired of himself and he's constantly surrounded by himself, which makes it even worse. Like it just amplifies that feeling that I think we all kind of can relate to sometimes we're just like, Oh God, me again. But he's like literally me again. Right. (laughs) And so there's just this quiet, vulnerability to his performance that was just like totally unexpected from what I thought we were going to be getting, but it just worked so well. And it made that final, like that final scene where he sacrifices himself really have like a tremendous emotional impact, despite the fact that we just had the, basically the length of that episode to get to know him. Um, and I think it's really, really impressive. Al, your thoughts on Richard E. Grant, a man you've interviewed in the back. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, jealous. can't, in person too, it was great. Um, just to just stab you a little more. Uh, I, I again, it, one of the most exciting f- things, and uh, I think it was like three episodes ago on the podcast, Bill, where you actually said you didn't say it, 
but you said, oh, I forgot this guy's in it. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil it. For yeah. And because I thought he might be the day ex machina that gets them out of like the fall of yeah. Lamentus. A little bit, kind of. But you know. did get him out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great. I loved, you know, we got to see like a Loki sacrifice moment from him specifically. And the way he did it was to show how <laughs> how powerful he is. And also him doing that with his hands was basically a um homage to his first cover appearance in journey into mystery oh, um nice. yeah this, like they raising have, his hands like that they should have titled this episode easter egg because that's oh, just it was it just was, it was so it was crazy i was reading through some of the easter eggs bananas um there's been long long rumors of um a very famous comic book writer current comic book writer uh either has plans or is rumored to have plans to use uh, Throg, who was introduced in the 80s. Yeah. And one of the Easter eggs is when you're going down underground, you see uh-huh. all these like different things. One of them was uh, Mjolnir, probably a bunch of Mjolnirs. But there was a there was like a test tube and you see Throg in it. And, and it's he's like, trying to get out. Yeah, I insane. love that was my favorite Easter egg also. So cool. That's from the classic Walter Simonson run of Thor from the Absolutely. 80s. Where Loki turns Thor into a frog. Um, then he uh, touches Mjolnir, and because he is still worthy, he get, regains the powers of Thor, but oh, as a, a frog. frog. And then he's in Central Park, and That's he has to lead a, a war. Frog. Yeah, and he has to lead uh, the frogs of Central Park in a war against the rats of Central Park. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I do remember this. <laughs> awesome. Just awesome. Yeah. On all accounts. I loved Richard E. Grant in this because Alex, what you're saying, we saw this. Uh, I think one of the best parts of the episode was when he was talking about uh, how he was caught because he was alone because yeah. he, he had basically he, his whole life was great until Thanos showed up, which I believe, by the way, there is a little like like a, a helicopter that's down. It says Thanos. Thanos copter. Yeah, it's actually from the comics too. It's another Easter egg. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he was talking about how he had, you know he had created this great illusion and he was able to you know escape and then he just stood on this planet by himself for years and years and years and then he just got lonely and he missed his brother and i was like wow that is not what i was expecting from this loki that's i was expecting you know you know mustache twirling even though he didn't have what a mustache twirling villain and who was like a goofy you know who was kind of a, like kind of silly grand you know grandpa type at this point because he's a cranky and whatnot but just seeing him do that a monologue was fantastic and then when he when we're getting towards that climax again and i was just like i'm like well i'm like come on just come on old man just to show up and save the day and he did and i was like fuck yes oh it's so good and you just knew like it was so cool but at that same time you knew this was his grandest illusion and yeah. that he knew he was gonna die and the sad he, part was i was so like i was an in you were hoping the alligator to save the day I yes i was an in-tuned like television watcher and then also like um a sap at the same time because when he, him and kid loki leave i was like oh man i would love to have seen more of them and then they cut back to them and he's looking back and like in tune i'm like oh they're not done with him and then also the sap in me was like totally wiped it out of my brain <laughs> completely (laughs) and then when he came out back it's like yeah it was awesome it was so much fun it's a great moment it really was so we can all agree our favorite performer was the alligator yes (laughs) hands down 
Hands down. Um, but I, I, I will, mean, special he does have to make an impression. I will say special shout out to Kid Loki. I thought the kid that they like casted, he was great. I thought he was awesome. But I also love that they're like, like right in the beginning, he's like, I don't have to listen to you. And he's like, slowly roll. This, this kid's no joke. And then you find out like a couple seconds later that he killed Thor. So that means he killed Thor when he was a kid. Yeah. Fucking metal. Like well, pretty and metal. also, metal like, I, also like the, the actor is the actor's name is Jack Veal. And I think that like, it's very interesting. His, the choices that he makes in terms of like what he does with the Loki persona, because it really there's like a darkness to him, like a, a weight on his yeah. shoulder that he has clearly because uh, like we know the complicated relationship that our Loki has with Thor. And so you have to imagine that there was probably a great deal of um, regret and trauma built into that act. And with the very little screen time that we have, like there's a real maturity and, and darkness to him in a way where we're like, Oh, like if any Loki could be Batman, I think that Jack feels Loki could be Batman. Absolutely. And he also was like, he he was also the king, so he they everyone bowed down to him because he. Yeah, it was. Everybody thought that like I, there was a lot of like oh like there's going to be a King Loki, and everybody assumed that that would be the character that Richard E. Grant was playing. But then it turns out that Kid Loki is King Loki, and it should have been was a it should have been the alligator Loki. No, I, the kid was like that. Like it makes way too much sense. The alligator Loki yeah. is exactly where he needs exactly. To be. Yeah, um, the alligator Loki is like the one that he's like the hothead. Like you can't you can't predict what he's going to do next. Like that's, that's right. his vibe. He bit off the vote Loki's uh, hand. He's yeah. the he's the Falstaffian character of this this Shakespearean drama. So for all you <laughs> English majors out there, you're welcome. Um, but to answer your question about what like the best performance yeah. is, I in my opinion, it's it's she only has one scene, but I really really liked uh, when me um, uh, Masak. Masaku, uh, who plays Hunter B-15, she, like, she just kind of, like, cuts through Gugu Mbathara in that, in that conversation, just, like, so incredibly, like, there's just so much power to the very, very small amount of screen time that she has in this episode, and, and she has to play so many different emotions at the same time, and I just thought that she left, like, a really great impact, and in an episode, like, in a scene where, ostensibly her role is to get the audience to think more about Gugu Mbatha-Ra's character, uh, Ravona Renslayer. Um, and it's really not to, to service her character at all, but she does such an excellent job in that scene that she really makes you invested in that character's emotional state and like what her life is like and where she's at emotionally after everything that she's just experienced. You want to see her, that scene made you want her to get a payoff not to be written off like just to be forgotten about like in the finale like it will be in my opinion a little bit of um it would be a disservice if we don't see any sort of conclusion or continuation for that character yeah, yeah. i'm assuming like you know mobius will break her out and they'll team up to get real answers out of ravona i do also want to give a shout out to gugu because i thought that she was this was her best episode probably um she's an actress that i really like and i feel like she often doesn't get the roles that she deserves um but she has tremendous talent and i really liked her in this episode where her wheels are just constantly spinning and she's constantly trying to play an angle and just survive with her back against the wall and it, she played that really really well I yeah agree. i i didn't i, I liked i 100 agree about her performance i just i was getting a little confused about i, I want to bring that up i want to bring that up but you can bring it up because it's yeah, the same thing. Yeah, got yeah, because I want to bring that up in the next segment because that this is because that's really a big question mark on where their character is really going to go. 
Um, I really, you know, he wasn't, Owen Wilson wasn't featured as much in it, but I was sure as hell happy to see him back. Um, for me, I think the performance of the episode for me, um, I'm going to go Sophia DiMartino. I really loved her in this episode. I think, I know a lot of people will gravitate towards Tom Hilston in, in the, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, I'll call it the blanket scene. But I loved her more in that because I felt like, we we see more of her struggling to you know to have emotion because everyone around her got killed off you know she didn't like like you know with loki he's like i've killed everyone that i've ever loved but on the flip side for sylvie everyone she's ever loved got killed so it's mm-hmm. just like this this and i think exploring that i think is a little more interesting because we've been with loki for so long just seeing her just being in my opinion the superior version of the Loki is I think it's not a, a stretch to say that but to see her have this moment of like like vulnerability and not done for just be like oh a will they won't they romantic moment of her struggling to say her saying like I've never had a friend like that's that was more important to me than like because like oh are they gonna kiss or something romantic? it's just like her coming to terms with actual emotion and that was like almost it was heartwarming and heartbreaking for me at the same time. So you're like, this person is not a child and she is just constant has never had a friend. And that's like, so sad. It's the, what has been robbed of her because of the TVA. And to me, I thought just in the, a lot of physical performance she did, I thought she stole the show for me. And uh, Owen Wilson's right. She is my favorite for this episode. <laughs> So. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. I awesome. definitely can't take anything away from her there. And I think that like her, she does so much to sell that emotional connection yeah. um, in a way that I think like, you know, Hiddleston is doing the Hiddleston thing that, as you said, we're so used to. And so I, it's it's a hard thing to do. I think maybe we undervalue it sometimes. But like what what Sophia is doing is just really grounding it in this really honest emotional core that really makes you feel connected to her. There's like a vulnerability there that you want. And there's also a confidence to her character that is just really attractive. Um, and I think that you really need for these, like she's literally standing up against a giant uh, cloud monster. <laughs> right? And you believe her when she's like, I can do this. I know what to do here. And it's so different from how Tom Hiddleston's Loki handles these situations where he's always like all empty bravado right he's i have i should be able to do this and she's like i can do this and that like really that distinction is really powerful and and i think that's kind of where i think their attraction is also kind of built from that you know that that difference is so is so key everyone loves a good false bravado that's how i run a pop culture (laughs) um al who is your favorite performance in uh this episode and we've already, yeah, it's, it's, it's we, we know the alligator, we know, but it's the alligator and then followed by Richard E. Grant. But I thought, yeah, I mean, Disney, <laughs> Disney, Marvel specifically, uh, but Disney just, you know, has a knack for making us fall in love with animals. And Marvel's pretty great at it too, with, uh, because specifically they are owned by Disney now, but Rocket, um, Goose. Just to name a few, but now we can add Alligator Loki to the mix of awesome uh, Marvel. An Anthony Edwards guy. But also, what <laughs> this really does for us, Pet Avengers. Of course. I also like how you missed the Top Gun reference. So. Yep. Just went right over it. 
Yeah. Just like everyone else who is listening to this podcast. <laughs> Alex enjoyed it. Pet Avengers. We're going to get a Pet Avengers. I like eventually. so hope that we don't, but. <laughs> We're totally getting it. If it's an animated series, you know, geared towards the Disney Junior crowd, yeah, sure. Fine. Even totally then, in. I would be very happy if that didn't happen, but I'm glad nah. that you're excited. <laughs> Make it happen. There is a Pet Avengers. There is a comic. I know. Pet oh, I know. <laughs> and you know who's you know who's the leader of the Pet Avengers? Alligator Lord. Throg, right? Throg. Yeah. Let's fucking go. Al's <laughs> like, I got a two-year-old boy. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Let me keep him in this universe. Give me things for him to watch. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes I'll that. sign up for the Pet Avengers if their big villain is uh, Miss Minutes. Fine. I can also add her to the list of, of, of great performances this week. Um, yeah. Tara Strong. Tara Strong. Acclaimed voiceover actor. Interviewed she on was pretty Bobby. great. Trying to stall for time for Miss Ravona Renslayer. <laughs> yeah, but then she also seemed like she didn't want to help her at the end. Yep. And that's what I'm going to move into our next segment. I know what this place is, which is, of course, is where we get the old tinfoil and wrap it around our heads and give our thoughts and theories on things that are going to happen. Let's talk about Renslayer Miss Minutes and, the t- and these files for the TVA. Let's start with Renslayer. Whose side is she on? Who are you asking? Oh, Alex, I always start with you because you're oh, going okay. to um, get the smart answer. <laughs> I give the emotional weird answer. The analysis like Pet Avengers. <laughs> I think she's on her own side. I think that uh, we don't know. I, I think that what Guga Mbatha-Ra did in this episode was give a tremendous amount of information to the audience about the emotional state of her character while completely obfuscating the truth of her character. And I think that's why I really liked her performance. Um, and I think if we read into that enough, you could see that like she's a person who clearly does not have all of the information about what's going on. She clearly has more information than our principals do, though. And she is very invested in maintaining her power in her present position. And I think she is very driven to protect that power at all costs. And if she has been servicing, like serving someone who uh, doesn't really exist, I think she's going to maybe look at that as an opportunity to get a handle on things and to take over the TVA for herself. Maybe that's not what's going on. Maybe it's more that she knows who's behind it, has a relationship with that person, and now wants to, is working overtime to try to protect that person and insulate their their identity and their uh, secret behind the scenes control from happening. I think both of those are very plausible. Um, I don't think that what we're going to find out is that like, oh, it turns out that uh, Renslayer has been behind everything from be- the beginning. I think that would be a bit one, of a stretch one, one from what we were getting. We had early in the podcast, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. she's more than she seems. I wouldn't be shocked if she's a time, you know, a, a t- I, of course, I would say Time Lord because God damn it. <laughs> um, you know, I think the- that her like I think that her her desperation and her anxiety in this episode are real. And if that is true, then you have to ask why. And it wouldn't make sense that it's, oh, because everyone's going to find out about me because she wouldn't be asking those questions if that was true, right? So she's clearly trying to get a handle on something. She's trying to protect something. But I don't think it's specifically like the fact that she is pulling the strings. So I'm very interested to see how it resolves. Al, you you and I both thought she was more than like G.I. Joe. She was or Transformer, she was more than meets the eye. G.I. Joe was a real American hero. Completely yeah. wrong. So, I think Ravona Renslayer is not a real American hero. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that much. He is not Snake Eyes. 
coming to you this coming month. Anyway, weird plug. So, Al, what do you think <laughs> the motivations are going forward for her? Weird plug for Snake Eyes that oddly looks okay. And, and that none of us are uh, per, like responsible for in any way. So I don't know yeah. why we would be plugging it. No idea. <laughs> I've, the only thing I've ever done for Henry, Henry Golding is saying like, hey, he should be James Bond. And that's it. And watch it. Oh, you're the one on the internet who said that? <laughs> no, on this podcast. <laughs> what, um, what, uh, what was the question? Uh, Renslayer, her motivations. I don't know. I don't know. How to move her. I don't think she has anymore. Her motivation is like, survive and keep things the same i don't know because she is curious about who these people are but at the same time like this is all she knows and i think it's like kind of the complete opposite of mobius and doesn't want to change the status quo at all she likes her position of power she likes um the things the way the things were running and i think she's curious but i don't think she has any other motives outside of that and if she did they're not explained to us in any way. And I just feel like, you know, we were getting this odd team up of these two and it was turned out to be a ruse. And then she's asking Miss Minutes for, you know, more information about the beginning of time. And it's like, I truly don't know what her end goal is kind of like with every or almost every Marvel villain is like, Hmm, this isn't really well thought out, but maybe she's not the quote unquote villain. We will see, but yeah, six episodes in, it's a little rough. Her character development, I guess. I don't know. I I, I can see both of the these happening where she has an idea or she does know who who is going to who is behind all this, and the reason she's trying to access stuff is because she's like, okay, somehow the low keys are going to get here, and I need to figure out how to beat them there, or. She's trying to find leverage because what she thought she knew, she didn't get all the answers. So while she believes in the TVA and she's working for them and stuff has probably been promised to her, she might be curious about that previous life and how that could affect her. Something, something has to do with leverage here for her and survival. Like there's something going on with her. Like there is curiosity there, but she's trying to, she's asking for the beginning. Because maybe what she was told, because she knows those those guys, those were robots. She knew that. And she's like, okay, I know the secret's safe. But now she's like, maybe it's not. It's not safe and I have to go protect that. Or it's not safe because I've been lied to and I need to cover my ass so I don't end up dead or something. It's, it's very weird. And that's why I'm very intrigued because like, I think it's all going to come together in a way we're not expecting because it's her, 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 it's so ambivalent what she wants or ambiguous, I should say is the right word, what she wants. And I think that's really yeah. cool because, you know, sometimes when you know, and it comes, it's done really well, it's great. Sometimes a little mystery is pretty damn good. And I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, like I, I said, think ultimately like my read on it is that she's the type like what i think if i had to put money on what the how this is going to play out it would be this it would be that she's the type of person who is smart enough to know that what was told to her is not true 
but she's invested enough in the system as it exists because she is powerful in that system and is and has risen up within that system to acquire that power that she doesn't want to ask those questions that could destabilize the system and therefore strip her of her power and now her back is against the wall because other people are asking questions in a way that she can no longer control so now she has to figure out something she has to get to the bottom of something enough so she could stabilize this problem and maintain her status within it i think that's that is most likely what's going on yeah that that and the only other thing i could think of is what i'm going to ask next is the citadel Mm. this is what they mentioned in in the wikipedia uh, article to citadel it's this this place we see at the end of the episode where loki and sylvie hand in hand walk towards what do you guys think uh, alex start with you what do you think the citadel is and Who's behind its walls? Well, this is the thing that I was most excited to talk to you guys about, because I'm really curious where you're at at this point. Because basically, like, the two biggest theories, right? Well, I guess there's three. One is that, like, Ravona Renslayer is behind everything. And I feel like we've discussed that. Neither of us really think, none of us really think that's likely where it's going. So theory number two is that's Kang. That's where Kang lives. Kang's the guy behind the scenes. Jonathan Major's going to pop up in that Citadel and be like, ha I've been behind everything the whole time. Theory number three is it's another Loki, right? Because this whole show has been about Loki confronting his own demons, his own, his, all of the things that he doesn't like about himself, all of the things that he does like about himself, learning to accept himself for who he is through this like creative storytelling uh, like technique of variants versions of himself so the ultimate climax of that story would logically be that he has to confront the worst version of himself all of the the version of himself that embodies all of his greatest fears and anxieties the person who finally achieves rule in a totalitarian way, an authoritative way across the most rule possible the type of rule that governs all of time and space that's more powerful than even the infinity stones right so that would be his ultimate desire right that was always his supposed desire even though we've learned that that's not really that was always just like a mask that he hid his true vulnerability behind and so to be confronted by what that looks like someone who actually a version of himself that did all of that and have to take that down would be the ultimate kind of like metaphysical version of confronting your worst self and your worst ambitions and kind of having to, to slay that in order to become a truly evolved person. So I think those are the, those are the theories. And I, I think that I like the third, right. The most, obviously given how I described it, Um, I think it has the most emotional, potency to it the most thematic potency to it but uh i wouldn't be disappointed if it was kang because i where we know this character's coming and he's gonna be here for a while it'd be really interesting to see how he uh how he works as an as like a big boss at the end of this at the end of this project knowing that he's gonna crescendo into other things in the future so and then of course there's a chance that like Kang is a Loki variant, which they could technically do. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I think it's one and two. So two and three, two and three. So I think it's Loki variant and Kang. Yeah, I think there's going to be like a, a super Kang connection. Uh, 
but I think it could be a Loki variant. I, I think I've said it from the beginning that I thought we were going to get like a council of Lokis, but then this episode happened and it's like, oh, your council of Lokis is so disorganized that they just fight each other constantly. Like, I love that. It's not even a council of Lokis. It's like two different Loki factions and they are at war with each other. Amazing. Because Lokis are chaos agents, so you can't have a council of chaos agents. Correct. But the reason why I can't see it being a Loki is that that, that means a Loki that's one. Like a Loki that doesn't fail, like like they oh like what what doesn't like Mobius say that all Lokis like their plans never work like it's just like they are destined for like he does say that but that is in the context of him trying to kind of emotionally manipulate Loki into True. submission and he later refutes that statement when he says like whoever told you that you can only be one thing like you don't listen to them you can be anything you want to be like Mm -hmm. knowing that he himself was the one who said that to him initially so he's saying like all of the shit that i said to you about who you are who you're destined to be is complete bullshit don't listen to it that's why i'm like on the fence because i think it could still be a loki at the top but they still have to set up like the next 10 years of marvel so like, let's 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 pick up the pace a little bit. But you know, breaking the TVA, doing. no matter what, who is at the head, by destroying it, you break open the multiverse in a way that's going to ram- have ramifications yeah. for a number of projects moving forward that we already know about. So you don't necessarily need that con- connection. I do like the idea that maybe the thing that let this particular variant succeed is some sort of like alliance with Kang, right? So in the sort of way that like the Thanos and Loki alliance played out in the Avengers, right? Only in a version of that where it's successful. And so maybe that was the thing that gave this Loki the edge. And so then you finally confront that Loki, you destroy that Loki, you free, you liberate the timelines, and then you find out at the very end that like, oh, like, he was a puppet for Kang and now we're going to learn more about Kang in the future. Like that, I feel like there's a way that that could feel satisfying. Yeah. And it's kind of reminiscent of like Avengers with. Yeah. Thanos. I just rewatched Avengers uh, this week just because I'm like prepping for Black Widow. Um, and it's striking how they actually do go back to Thanos several times in that movie without That's ever right. showing him with only vaguely referring to him. And then at the end, you obviously in that mid credit scene, you see that who he is, but they really are layering that in that movie in a way that yeah. I don't, when I watched it the first time, I don't think I really noticed or picked up on as much. No. So I could totally, so I could totally see it functioning in this in a similar way. Yeah. It would be pretty cool if they did it that way. I, I've been saying since the beginning that there was a that there is a Loki who is actually running the TVA, who has created the sacred timeline. And what better way for that plan to fail is because of Loki. You know, he's the king of self sabotage, and you know he's self sabotaging because a variation of himself, uh, two variations of himself have have joined up and done the impossible, not betrayed each other. And I think we will get to see moments where um, there will be moments where either Loki or Sylvie could betray the other, or especially Tom Hiddleston's character will, could have the opportunity to betray her. And he might do like a head fake, be like pretend to betray her, then end up being the good guy in the end or something like that. I could see that as a possibility, but 
I think it's going to be a low key behind the fortress because or Citadel, because my immediate thoughts were, wait, does that look like the house that Wanda is was in at the end of WandaVision? And it wasn't. And then I was like, could that be Dr. Strange? And I'm like, you've said that before. I don't think it's going to be Dr. Strange. Uh, so I do think it's going to be a low key and we will, Alex, I think you're right. It will tie into Kang somehow, because even if we just get the glimpse of Kang, like you were saying about the Thanos, like that mm-hmm. final mid credit reveal, if we get the mid credit reveal of Kang here, I think that sets us up in a really nice direction going forward. Yeah. And I will say, um, bringing up the Citadel specifically, I didn't notice this because I'm not as well read in on comics, but um, people who are notice that that Citadel is actually like a, uh, a, a core like location for the character of Kang um, in the comic books. So that is an indicator. Also, like Elioth is a, like has ties to Kang. Uh, of course, you've spoken in the past how Ravana Renslayer in the comics has strong ties to Kang. So there's a lot of Kang stuff around the edges of this, like if you know where to look. But, you know, sometimes Marvel just does that to like mess with fans and then it doesn't actually mean anything. So you have to take that into account as well. Let's talk about Mobius going back to the TVA. Do you think that that TVA world that we have established in this series uh, survives? to the end of at the end of the finale i think it would be interesting if they do like they pull like a legends of tomorrow where it's like they're the people that are left in the agency instead of pruning the timeline like uh, just make it their mission to like right wrongs um in the timeline like moral wrongs instead of this like like this theocratic idea of of what needs to happen um but in like in legends of tomorrow for instance like uh, a character goes back and like um uh, like uh, takes helen of troy and and it's like saves her from being killed because she's like it's not her fault that these stupid like people go to war over how pretty she is. It's ridiculous. We shouldn't just let that happen. So like things like that happen on that show. And I think that would be like a cool way to allow the TVA to still exist, but like in a reformed version, like under Owen Wilson's character of Mobius. Like Dr. Who let's kill Hitler. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, more like in Dr. Who, when they go back and like make Vincent Van Gogh less depressed. Uh, And then he kills himself anyway. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, life's long, but for that moment, it really meant a lot to him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I could definitely see that. I think what we're gonna see is obviously a confrontation between Mobius and Renslayer, and I think what's gonna happen is Renslayer is gonna try to appeal emotionally to him yet again in a manipulative way, and and Mobius is going to show his growth as a character by not giving into that this time, and instead pruning her. Uh, setting her up to uh, be part of the main kind of com- like uh, like uh, conflict that uh, Loki and Sylvie are in the middle of at mm. the Citadel. Interesting. I don't think I don't think he prunes her. I think it's B fifty two. B fifty two. I made that up. So I just keep saying B fifty two. It's B fifteen. Yeah. Second, Although if we saw times. the B-52s in the in that like nether region that we were in, that would they would have fit right in. I have seen them live there. Delightful. Yeah, um, did. Didn't you see them just be like in the corner in the background, just like hanging out like oh, one of the downed sure. helicarriers or something? 
I could just have seen I could see them like performing in the collector's like lair, like in, <laughs> in a glass case. Like that's one of his trophies was the B-52s. Yeah. With Tobias from Arrested <laughs> Development. Um, yes. And uh, okay, here's just a here's a random one. Does either Sylvie or Loki die in the finale? Yes. Yeah. And then who would it be? I think probably Loki dies, right? He's destined to die. He's always destined. He dies in every timeline. No, I think he dies. I think, I don't know if either of them die if they want to do a season two. If they're going to do a second I, season, I don't think, I don't think either of them dies. I think you do a second season where it's Sylvie, like, trying to find her place in the universe and getting caught up in a bunch of bullshit. I'd oh, also I, watch that, but I yeah, think this, this literally, they wrote away to get Tom Hiddleston back into the MCU. I think they wrote away to give him a fantastic send off. That was about him as a character and really getting him to be we at the center that, we, of it. We thought that about vision too, but now we have white vision. So it's like, like well, they, we sort of, but like white vision, isn't the same character, right? Like he's, but we still have some, him. He's something new. We, this isn't the same Loki. It's something new. I, I mean, it kind well, of is. <laughs> it's not, though. It's a Loki who learned how to love himself. Like, literally. That's it. Loki went to therapy, guys. Um, just therapy. Mm. Yeah. Um, is that what therapy is? Falling in love with your... your... Well, it's, I, I think I said it a few weeks ago. It's about, you know, self-love and self-care and yeah. stuff like that. And that's their, their example is very on the nose and literal. Yes. But, you know, um, I... I think it's Sylvie because I feel like the reason I think it's her is because I feel like she's going to be like, he he's a different Loki, but this is a new scar for him. And like, she might show up again in season two, but I just feel like he Loki's never going to get the truly happy ending and her dying would be like, like she died for a friend, you know what I mean? And so I could see that and it being a scar for him. Uh, I do like your idea a lot better of her being the new Loki and going forth. That's great. But I just feel like they're not going to get rid of Hiddleston. I think this will be his big, like, well, uh, it's a multiverse. It, so they'll always have the chance to tap back into another Hiddleston, you know, that's true. I just don't think he does again. For sure. I, I don't, I think that they're smart enough to know that it would be a really bad look to spend six episodes building this complicated, interesting female character only to kill them off in order to be a source of pain for the, the male protagonist. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't have a lot of faith in people sometimes, I guess. It's just like, I see that happening. But like, again, like you said, it's a multiverse. You can come back. And like we could figure out, you know, we had Rose and Doctor Who, and maybe I don't it's know. It's true, although there is no other female Loki that we've had any kind of like interaction with, but we have seen other Tom Hiddleston Lokis running around. That's true, because President Loki is still out there, handless. But ah, you can always grow. He can get. He can find another one. I'm sure. I also uh, love when they broke up. Uh, have you ever met a female version of us? And they're like, no, that's, that sounds like a disaster or something. What is it? What is <laughs> that sounds that horrifying. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Great line. Um, hmm. i trying to think if there's any other loose ends that we could predict. Any other predictions you guys have for the finale? Alex. I think it's going to be the best finale of the three finales that we've seen. 
gonna like throw mm-hmm. the gauntlet down. Maybe. I, I think maybe the most important. I think it's be the most. I think it's the most most important finale. You could say, you know, the other ones were specifically Falcon and the Winter Soldier ending with Captain America and the uh, the Winter Soldier and leading into a potential new movie franchise. Um, and yeah, and you know the the very end of WandaVision sets her up as an antagonist in future events as well. In a pretty mm-hmm. Antagonist though? I think yeah, so. Not villain, but antagonist for sure, I think. Mm, okay. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I think this will be the most important uh, and hopefully the best. We'll see. Yeah, I think this is going to be the uh, one of the most, this is going to be a pretty emotional episode. I think it might be one of the most emotional ep- finales that Marvel's done. I think I think it's going to be some big old tears coming out on this one because I think there's going to be a lot of uh, sad moments filled with great hero- hero- heroism from somebody. So, um, but also very part important. Of, part so, of me does hope that uh, Mobius lives up to his threat and literally burns TVA to the ground. I think that'd be great. I'd love that image. That would be really awesome. I also and then he just rides off on a jet ski. We need to see him yeah. on a jet ski. I, I think I feel like that's ski. like I feel like that's post credit scene. Mobius on a jet <laughs> yeah. ski. Yeah, like it's like they get through the initial cast list and then there's him, then there's like the technical stuff, then we get the setting yeah. us up for you know the, yeah, I, I really need that. And I hope he does say, I don't give a shit what they said in that article. I hope he does say wow when he's on there. <laughs> Oh, uh, I forgot. There was one other theory that some people are really um, excited about. The idea that Miss Minutes is actually the big bad of the of the series. How would you guys feel about that? Also cool with it. I think Tara <laughs> Strong deserves it. Um, there'd be a lot of explaining to do how this delightful little cartoon is the big villain. And I'm here for it. Like, yeah, if that's it, that's it. Okay, let's go for it. Let's see what it has. Because she does control all this information. So I don't know if I... They'd have to do a really good job explaining that one for me because uh, <laughs> a lot of the other theories I like a lot better, but they'd have yeah. to, if they put the work in for it, you know, it could be good. Or she's a Rick and Morty writer. And I feel like that show would definitely make Miss Minutes the villain. <laughs> Very true. They put, So that's why we're going to see our, both our heroes die six times and yet come back somehow. <laughs> um, well, let's get into our, our final segment as we're kind of breezing through this episode. That's what happens when you don't have six people on the podcast um, is let's get it rate our, let's do our antiquated rating system for the episode one to 10 Tesseracts, because that's what I came up with in episode one. And um, what we, th- you know, our overall thoughts on, and our overall final thoughts on the episode. So okay, Alex, um, for our esteemed guest, we would love to have you deliver the best. Answer. And it was one to eight was the scale. One to 10. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Why would it be one to eight? <laughs> Joel doesn't know how to put sentences together. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, so one to ten, I would give it like a solid seven and a half. I thought it was like a really fun episode. It had some really strong emotional moments. It had, it was maybe the best looking episode that the show's done, which really I think we haven't talked about enough, but I thought that the, you know, the episode where they were on the exploding planet looked terrible. At least when I watched it, I thought it was just like they were clearly walking around on a green screen and this, they're also walking around on a green screen, but it looked great. Like it all was like the textures were right. Everything was layered. Great. They had so much fun Easter eggs in every single 
a bit and in a context where it didn't feel distracting or just like fan servicey it was like yeah this is like a weird fucking place where everything could be so let's put weird shit there like so it felt like it like really helped establish the environment in a way that that was additive instead of distracting um and i think that it did a tremendous job establishing these other characters like kid loki and classic loki and alligator loki like and like it's such a like such an effective way we haven't really talked about boastful loki at all and i think it's just because like i i feel like the the episode does him a little dirty. Yeah, uh, for sure. Also, boastful Loki. Loki is so boastful of a character. So if you're going to call your character boastful Loki, I need to see a lot more. Yeah, from you. Um, his final yeah. his final scene was pretty fantastic, though. It was funny. I'll give you that. But I wanted more. Um, and but yeah, I love how they just constantly betray each other. <laughs> it was it was great. And it, and it's like a little bit of like a wink to the audience because yeah. you know they have that scene in the first trailer of Loki like popping up being like haha you didn't expect me and then everybody like turns on him and like actually like that setting of an expectation that was kind of a betrayal to the audience right it was like a double turn for us because we're mm-hmm. expecting him at some point to turn on everybody and that wasn't even our Loki the whole time so that was fun yeah um, but yeah so I really I really did like this episode a lot it's it's definitely a highlight of of the marvel shows so far um and and i think that uh yeah i'm really excited to see where it goes so seven and a half out of ten what was your favorite easter egg you mentioned that what was your well the throg i think was my favorite easter egg but there was a lot of good ones in there like all the different ships that were there like the dark aster was in the background a helicarrier was in the background um there's just like so much stuff that i can't even remember off the top of my head i love that they did the thanos copter because that's just such a dumb thing that exists and it really it really speaks to the way that you know um the mcu uh, amplified the majesty of the thanos character compared to what he sometimes was in the comics um also there's like a giant um a yellow jacket head uh in in the landscape and that was pretty cool I love thinking about like what Corey Stoll might have done if he was. Did I read somewhere that he was coming back? I heard a rumor that he's going to appear in some capacity in Quantumania. Yeah, because technically, didn't he go like, I know he looks like he gets fucking murdered, but doesn't he look like he goes into the quantum realm? Well, so like the difference between what happens to him and what happens to Scott in that movie is that Scott like shrinks himself down but like with the right, like he turns off his regulator, right? But the suit is working how it's supposed to. What happens to Yellow Jacket is that uh, Scott like short circuits his suit. So it starts malfunctioning as it's shrinking. So it's only shrinking like parts at a time. And it really seems that it like completely just annihilates his actual body. Maybe, on the it, way just, down. maybe it just shrunk him down. <laughs> but if we're in a multiversal situation, who knows? I think more likely they'll probably just be like, he was in the quantum realm and like, fine. But if you watch that scene, that there's no way. Yeah, he looks like his ass killed. Yeah. <laughs> he gets smushed for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> but whatever it's if anything can bring him back uh in a fun way i'm sure the ant-man franchise can the franchise that bill inexplicably has not watched because it's like the most uh bill centric franchise one. of the marvel universe it truly I did watch spider-man far from home the other day so i'm, I'm getting we've it. asked you to watch like two movies <laughs> ragnarok and ant-man literally just said these are the two that are like perfect for you <laughs> you can't do it right now too much wrestling to watch 
it's, which is only one day a week now. So it's just like, that's showing you how much time I have to myself. <laughs> Listen, just wake up at five every morning and then just like watch an episode, like an hour of Marvel a day. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. An hour, an hour of Marvel a day. There, there is no ending of that. It's just, no, it's just, nothing just watch, that comes watch, from that. <laughs> watch an hour of Marvel a day. Excuse my depression. Yeah. Nope. Not true. No, uh, it's definitely not. Al, who, uh, God damn it, I lost my train of thought, but that's the podcast. What is your rating of this episode? Your overall thoughts and your favorite Easter egg? Uh, nine. I thought the introduction of the, the new variants was fantastic. Um, only thing that doesn't take it to a 10 for me is the we're at the penultimate and we still have like a ton of questions. And I'm not a huge fan of that because usually the penultimate can like fill us in on some stuff. Um, take the WandaVision penultimate, which is one of the best episodes, um, I believe, of the series. So I think that's the only reason it doesn't go to a 10 for me. Um, and then my favorite Easter egg is The Rog, which I did not see. I had to see it online, a little screenshot oh, of it. I also, yeah. it's also one of my favorites because I did notice it while I was well, watching it. I was watching it in a, in this room in my in my house where I watched in the daytime and all the sun was coming through. So I didn't okay. actually get to watch it in like a dark room. Um, but if I had watched it on the TV in the basement, I definitely would have caught it. <laughs> TV in the basement, which is the size of 17 of his sons. Ooh, great on. update. My couch is finally coming. I ordered it in March. It's coming next week. I am so happy. I'm never leaving it. I that's, Al also that's has a long a, delay. <laughs> Al also has like this random rec room in his ranch. And I was there the other day and it's, uh, the people there decided to take a lot of time and effort to paint everything black and just paint aces everywhere. And it's yeah. really, really the, mur- the murder basement. It's really like 90, very early nineties. It looks like it's from like 90, 90, uh, like the seventies. 92. Uh, it was, it was frightening. Uh, was. But, listen out. Bill was alive in 1992. So he, he knows I know. what it was like back then. Almost uh, so was I. I mean, you were barely, barely. I was one. Uh, I was. Uh, Uh, so for me, I'm gonna give this an eight and a half. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I felt a lot of tension in it, especially towards the 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 climax of that, and desperately hoping classic Loki would create some illusions, and that paid off greatly in a wonderfully dramatic way. Um, they were able to make these side most of these side characters who were just here for one episode um be very relevant and resonate with people emotionally that that you can actually invest in them and you can actually care what they do and you want to see more of them and you were hoping they would be involved in the episode and i think you know that's not always easy for shows when you have one episode characters um I also like the fact that I am left with a lot of questions. We don't have a clear path, much like I said previously, like we did with Cap. Well, sorry, then now, then Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and WandaVision, where we know where we're heading. We knew we knew what confrontations we're going to be having. I mean, we sort of do here, but we don't know how it's going to be because this show has defied a bunch, for me at least, defied some a lot of conventions that we see in Marvel. So I'm looking forward to see what type of creative ending they have. And I hope they can pay it off. Uh, my favorite Easter egg. Yeah, definitely was. Um, they dropped one of, I can't remember which ship. It just like randomly just drops in. It's like a port. Like it's, it's like. Oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't remember which one it was. It was a naval. It was some famed naval ship that actually I read online has this kind of urban legend about it, which like where it was supposedly transported to another dimension and aliens attacked it, and like a bunch of a bunch of soldiers died. Um, but it supposedly when it happened, uh, it was supposed to have happened off the coast of Philadelphia, and that and it's a real ship that was apparently nowhere near Philadelphia at the time. So we have. Hard proof, even in this era where aliens apparently exist and the military just told us, uh, it's still the name that particular urban legend has been debunked. But it's a fun, fun reference. Wait, another good one is um, Kid Loki on the throne while everyone's drinking the Roxy wine, which is another great uh, connection to the Roxxon Corporation, which is hopefully going to have a a bigger relevancy later in the MCU, was uh, he was drinking an ecto-cooler. I see. Yeah. Right. He was. Which is just amazing. It's so gross. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm going to eight and a half. I really like where they're leading us. Um, I'm just hoping it pays off well, man. So that is our episode. We were a quick one this week. Um, Alex, thank you for so much for being on, man, and always being our the penultimate man. Yeah, absolutely. Given that it's a little bit shorter than usual, do you guys want to talk at all about the what if trailer that just dropped? Um, Yes, we should, because um, unfortunately, Bill didn't watch it yet, but I was oh. listen. It was, you can watch it now. It's like a minute and a half long. We can we can talk about yourselves. <laughs> well, I'm pretty pumped. I thought the animation style was like really cool and interesting. Uh, I think the, the, the one what if story I'm interested in the most is the um, Captain Carter. I think sure. that's going to be really cool. Yeah. Um, I think the Marvel Zombies one's going to be um, lackluster or at least just like unnecessary in the sense. I mean, they're all unnecessary, but it's, I think it's a fun <laughs> it's a fun place where they can, you know, milk the stories that have been told through comics for years that people are big fans of or have never seen before. So I think I think it's going to be a, a pretty cool vehicle for them um, to, you know, keep going back to a well where, all right, well, there's a lull between giant blockbuster Disney Plus shows. Let's just drop a couple episodes of the what if. So smart move on their part. It looks interesting. Absolutely. I think that the animation style also looks very interesting. Um, it's not, it, it's very distinct. It almost looks like the kind of like uh, Richard Linklater, Scanner Darkly kind of, you know, okay, like that kind of that vibe. <laughs> but uh, how about Awake, Waking Life? Is that oh, a better reference for you? Least, that's one of my least favorite movies ever. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! Don't talk to my friends from high school. Um, but anyway, I saw it in high school. <laughs> so yeah, so that was uh, I. I definitely really liked um, the the choice that they made to not just go with like a standard kind of like CG animated thing. You know, like it's not like the the Star Wars uh, animated shows. It's like has like a really. It feels like it's its own thing. Um, the, this, the section that I'm most interested in is definitely the, what if T'Challa was part of guardians of the galaxy? Yeah. Because that's like, so bananas and a question that no one was asking. And so I feel like if you were going to do it, you must have a really interesting story to justify that or else why would you do that? <laughs> and also it is very sadly our last, uh, performance by Chadwick Boseman, not just as T'Challa, but period it's the last thing piece of acting that will be released from him and that's awful and it's very bizarre that this is the thing that it will be so i'm glad it's one more thing of black panther though 
yes, Black Panther as Star Lord, though, which is just like fine again. I also love the concept of uh, of Killmonger saving Tony Stark. That's the one. Yeah, I like that one. That was cool. I have to say though, it is kind of like I get why they did this, like where they made like the Iron Man section, like the thing that opens up the trailer, because of course that moment is what like opens up the MCU, right? Yeah. But like for a project that has so many of the actual actors voicing the characters, it's like really lame to have to start out with a clear like Robert Downey Jr. impersonator. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> Because if people don't know, most of the actors are reprising their roles for yeah. this. But of course, they were not paying Robert Downey Jr. Is Michael B. It. Jordan? I believe so. That's cool. Yeah, and I don't know why Downey wouldn't just do it to do it. I mean, he was busy making that movie where a dragon farts and kills everybody or whatever. Is that a movie? Yeah, Dr. Doolittle. That's what happens in oh, Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> oh, I was like... I There's like, dragons oh. in that movie? There is a dragon, yeah. It's a whole big problem and farts and that's a whole big problem also my god yeah i remember marissa message our film editor messaged me she's like this trailer is so bad i need to write about it i'm like go for it let's let's make that happen (laughs) but yeah i I do like the um the captain carter i think it's really cool yeah so i'm definitely stoked for that for sure so but alex why don't you tell everyone people can find you on the internet and all the great podcasts that you have brought to this illustrious podcast network. Sure. Okay. So I'll just talk for 20 minutes and then we'll end. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and letterbox at media thinking. You can follow my film podcast, cinema Joe's at cinema Joe's on Twitter. Uh, Alan Manorino was very nice to come on uh, a couple of weeks ago to talk about um, underrated Marvel movies. So if you're enjoying this conversation, you should definitely head on over there and at least check that one out. We talked about uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, Thor, the dark world, uh, Iron Man three and uh, Bill's favorite movie ant-man and the wasp um <laughs> modern classic it's like casablanca but like with um the quantum realm mm-hmm. yeah, exactly uh totally nailed it um we also are going to be doing episodes on uh black widow and the green knight coming up our black widow episode is going to be uh featuring special guest uh alan sarapa who is uh the uh daytime soap opera columnist for popbreak.com uh so if you like his work and you're curious uh what he has to say black widow check that out um also we have as bill mentioned earlier we have a podcast feed called pop break tv which uh i host a show on it called tv break alongside bill and our friend uh josh Ternaki. uh we just released an episode this week where we talk a little bit about loki amongst other things especially uh kevin can fuck himself which is a really interesting show that we get into um we also say goodbye to conan o'brien because he left late night um kind of like in the heat of like in the in the dark of night un unceremoniously um yeah there's a bunch of other shows on that feed uh shows about um uh, about real like dating shows the bachelor uh married at first sight um we have uh, shows that are dedicated to uh nerdy blurdy content uh called blurred watching um and that comes out um one wednesday a month uh, basically we have three 
we have three podcasts coming out of that feed every week, um, most of the time, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So check that out. Um, In addition to all of that, we also have the Breakcast podcast feed, which has a mix of general culture topics, including wrestling and music and movies and comic books um, and anime and all that fun stuff. That comes out every Tuesday, a different show. Um, So definitely check that out as well. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. We also have on the network, we have, uh, the way too early Oscar podcast, which posts intermittently, um, as they, uh, feel like the news, uh, cycle warrants it. Um, we all, they, that they being Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor, uh, they, Marissa and Matt also host the, and the winner still is podcast, which is currently in season airing Wednesday, uh, airing Mondays, uh, just talking about, um, all of the, Best Picture nominees of a given Oscar year, um, often with a special guest. Uh, so you can check that out over there. Um, and then, of course, this podcast, Social Distance, which comes out whenever Disney Plus wants it to. Essentially. <laughs> Essentially at this point. That's good. I like it. Uh, yeah, we're going to figure out what we're going to do after Loki's over. Um, oh, shit, right. Are, are yeah. you guys going to cover What If every week? I don't know. We might. I just we also about it. I have. Yeah. How long the episodes are? They'll be about it. They'll be like a half hour long, and mm-hmm. there's ten episodes, so they're going to run through October. Interesting. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, mostly. for those of you who haven't seen the trailer, and I recommend people do, uh, they announced in the trailer that the first episode will be out August 11th, which actually also gives a little bit of a clue about what some of the other shows that we're anticipating for later on is going to be, including, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have Shang-Chi as a film in September. Then in October, what if is going to finish? And it's most likely that Hawkeye is going to begin in the second half of October. Uh, that's going to lead into November where Hawkeye will continue and the Eternals will come out, uh, followed by Miss Marvel in December and Spider-Man in December. So that's kind of what the rest of Marvel is. I wonder if they're, are they going to, you think they're going to do Miss Marvel in December when they're going to do Book of uh, Boba Fett? Yeah, they've confirmed that it's going to be that Hawkeye and Miss Marvel will air, uh, will at least premiere before the end Ms. of Marvel. Miss Marvel would be good, like for like a September October show because it's like in school, like it's set. Yeah, like, but given the given the production schedules and things like yeah. that, Hawkeye is ahead of it, so Hawkeye is mm. definitely going to go first. And if it airs, unless they decide to double up What If and Hawkeye because it's like animated versus live action, they totally could do that. That would push things ahead a little bit but otherwise that's kind of what we're looking at for our schedule i think they would be willing to run a marvel show and a star wars show both debuting on wednesdays oh yeah right now they have a marvel show and a pixar show debuting on wednesdays and that's not phasing them at all and those are two pretty high budget big ticket projects that's true just imagine a day where we get like a marvel show a pixar show a star wars show all premiering on the same day bob bob Iger's dream right there realized Nice. I mean, he's doing good. He's doing good right. fixing Disney Plus because it's way better now than when it's uh, I think debuted. I think he's done now. No, they kept him on to, no, to but make. He, but he, I thought he was. I thought he officially ended that. Too. He's not. Oh, what? Oh, officially ended that part of the job. Yeah. I thought he was on till the end of the year, but that maybe. might be maybe. I cannot. I I can't stress this enough. How excited I am for both Hawkeye. And Miss Marvel. Don't you just yeah. want the don't you just want a the dog in Hawkeye? Pizza dog is going to save lives. The the pet Avengers. That's that's out. No, 
I don't even need Pizza Dog to be a part of the Pet Avengers. Pizza Dog is the shit. Pizza Dog is like Wolverine. He's like too cool to stay with the team. Is that oh, the yeah. deal? He's fucking Pizza Dog. He's going to go get some pizza. <laughs> that, that was the best analysis you've ever done. So now plug your social media. <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, you can find me at Pizza Dog Lover. Uh, no, uh, it's at Al Manorino on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter for nonsense, Instagram for pictures, maybe eventually this summer. Who knows? We'll see. Concerts are coming back. We did shoot our first concert uh, not long ago in a very so- safe and socially distanced uh, setting out in Eatontown, New Jersey. Uh, you could find that out thepopbreak.com. Who was that of? It was Warren Haynes of Government Mule. Um, some of you might be interested in that. Uh but every, yeah, every day, thepopbreak.com, we're, we're looking at movies, TV, anime, comic books, pro wrestling. Uh, we have the whole podcast network, music, you name it, we're talking about it every single day, thepopbreak.com. We're at thepopbreak on Instagram. We're at thepopbreak on Twitter. We are forward slash popbreak.com on Facebook. And if you must, for some unknown reason, follow me on Twitter. I'm at BodkinWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. So for the 65th episode of the socially distanced podcast and the penultimate episode of our low-key low-key review series my name is bill bodkin thank you for joining myself al manorino and the illustrious alex marcus for this episode we'll see you next week